Well, this is fun. I have been so totally looking forward to this. We're going to pray. Lord, we just ask you, let us see what you see and feel what you feel about this gathering, these people, this relationship that you are leading and forming. We ask that you would glorify Jesus in surprising ways to us, just in the way we talk and interact and what unfolds after this. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're doing a part one, taking a small break, and in the second service, it's gonna be part two because we're capturing it all on film, putting it all on the you know, archives on the internet so folks can see both of them together, and so I can go back and I'm gonna watch this again. So, little introduction. Why do we want you to know Francis Chan and Andy Bird? Because their story's beautiful. If you never meet them again, it's beautiful. And it's inspiring. If I never saw them again, I'm enriched by going, wow, wow. But there is another point that part of their story is part of our story as a family here. And for us to understand and celebrate it, causes us to be able to enjoy it, receive it, and participate in a greater way. So this is purposeful, this interview, not just fun, though it is fun. Now, most of you know, I'm not going to go into the story again, but for those that are new with us, that on April 9th, several months ago, we had a very unusual weekend on April 9th with Chris Reed here, and the Lord highlighted these two guys and Eric Metaxas and Chris Reed and, and Ken Fish, who are with us, and they'll be with us this Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, as they were last week. And I'm not gonna tell that story, except for to say, the Holy Spirit highlighted these five guys with us. And as I said, this is probably not the best way to say it, but I said to our family here, I go a month or two ago, these are strange bedfellows. I mean, there's no way they would be in the same room for an extended period of time. Just, they just wouldn't do it. It's just not because you're, it's bad. It just wouldn't happen. And the last three or four days, we have spent nearly, not quite, just shy of 20 hours together, the six of us, in conversation. That's not counting the three evenings that came after it. Near, not quite, just shy of 20 hours of conversation, most of it at my house, around a table, and there were tears, there were inspiration, and lots of fun, there was some push and pull, and it was, sparks were flying sometimes, and tears were flowing, and eyes were going, whoa, wow, and anyway, let me see, I don't know when the date was, I think I wrote it down here, yeah, June 18th, on a Friday night, about two weeks ago, I gave a one-hour story of how these five guys and myself and this team, how this thing came together and what happened in April. So I don't want to tell it again. 90% of you know it, but 10% of you go like, I'm not getting what's going on here. So June 18th on a Friday night, I, call, I have a message. I called it. It will be a strange title. It's Worship and Compassion, Prophetic and Intercession. You think, what? The story of these six Friends, people, streams, teams, whatever we call it, coming together. But I'm calling it worship and compassion, prophetic and intercession, because that was something the Lord spoke really strong, literally in 1984. 
and this is an emergence or development of that reality, and it will make sense if you hear it, and I'm saying that for you, for your purpose. And now most of you know, again, last part of the introduction of this, is that after that weekend in April 9th, where the Lord highlighted April 9th and April 18th, and these us, the six of us together, that Francis and Andy sent me an email and said, hey, we wanna come visit. We just wanna be in the prayer room with our, we just wanna be here with our families and here we go. And I said, oh my goodness, what a privilege. These guys are so busy and for them to take two weeks, this is April, we're gonna come in July, one to 14-ish. And uh, I thought, my goodness. I mean, because I know how busy they are. They go, we're gonna pay our own expenses, fly our entire families out, six children with Andy, seven children with Francis, expensive, fly from Kona with, are you kidding? And we'll do it, we'll get an Airbnb, we'll take care of everything. Of course, we're not gonna let them do that, but they said, we just wanna be in the prayer room with you, just together, and I thought, my goodness. Then a week later or so, Chris Reed calls up and says, you know, I was just with you last week, I just miss you, I wanna come again. And I said, great, we want you to come again. He goes, I, this is like my family. He goes, but my free time is in the first week or two of July, the same time. And then I said, oh, well, I got a couple friends coming. He goes, I'll stay out of your way, I'll stay out of your way. I go, oh, no, 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 no. And I thought, Francis, mind blown. I go, this could be fun. I go, yeah, come. <laughs> and the ornery side of me kicked in the I go, yeah. And then Ken Fish, who's kind of like a mentor, he's mentoring uh, uh, Chris, not entirely, but really pouring into him because he's many years older, he's been in, moving in the spirit for many years. He said, hey, next time Chris comes, I want to come. I, well, he's coming in July, but I got some friends here. We're, we're going to, I don't know, you know, I don't want everybody at the same time. He goes, well, we'll stay out your way. And then he goes, oh, I can't come because I'm at Eric Metaxas's house for a week of ministry. I said, okay, just come in the, Chris will come again in October, November, I, I'm assuming. And so then he Ken calls back another week later or something. He goes, can Eric come? And I thought, these are the same five guys that the Lord highlighted on April 9th. Anyway, I told a little bit of the story. It starts there. So before we get into your stories and how the Lord is, I mean, your stories are so inspiring just to listen, but then how you came together, then how we came together, and my favorite phrase, what meaneth thou this? You know what? We don't know. People have asked me, what does this mean? What does this mean? I said, if I tell you, I will miss it. My resume proves it. I will miss it. I'd rather not say. So they go, what are we calling it? The Prophetic Convergence Forum Part 2. I go, no, we're calling it two weekends in July. <laughs> and I said, 10 days afterwards, we'll understand better. But 10 years later, we'll understand a lot more because I don't have a clue what's going to happen. So... Three days, we spent almost 20 hours outside of the public meetings, the six of us together. Give me your a thought, a few thoughts, and you give a thought, then we'll kick into your stories. Okay, I, I am, I've, I've thought this through so that I would not exaggerate. First, I'm hung up. What is a bedfellow? You said that. I don't even know. Uh, okay, 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 okay. That word oh. struck me. It's, no, no, we gotta figure that's that out. like an English Let's move on I know, quickly. I know, Let's move on it's, quickly. It's, it's Longfellow. It's, it's, you know, English. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. English, okay, okay. Okay, okay. It's old English yeah, something. Like, okay. I don't know what it is. It just okay. Okay. Struck okay. Me. Was that bothering some of you too? Oh. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm not as current okay. in the culture as some of you guys okay. are. So. Okay. Now. Okay. Let me let me bring it back. Okay. Now that that's clear. Um, 
I just don't think I'm one of the. Okay. I just didn't think about okay. that. I just don't like being called that. Okay. Um, uh, I, I have thought about this. Okay. I fell in love with Jesus when I was around 14 years old, youth ministry, you know, youth pastor taught me to study the word of God, get alone with the Lord every day. And I've pretty much done that for the last 40 years now. But this whole time, as I've been studying the word of God, and even as I've been pursuing more of the spiritual and everything, there's always been like this, gosh, I read this book, these stories... And what I experience do not match up. And there, it's always been this sense of there's more, there's more, there's more. And this little bit of tension in me until this week. Okay, that's what's happened this week. Where I'm sitting around a table with these guys. And the way these lifetimes of stories coupled with Deep, clear biblical teaching and exegesis coupled with powerful manifestations of the Spirit and love and encouragement, everything else. I'm going, this is the Bible. This is, this squares up with the God of Scripture that I've been studying since I was 14 years old. So this three days, as you mentioned on, on the Friday, on one of the nights, you said, it, it will go down as one of the more significant times in my life in terms of paradigm shifting or, or I don't know what. Yeah, I don't know what it's going to amount to still. Yes. It, like there's, there's still so much time and every, you know, that remains to be seen. And, and every day more, you know, every, I should say every hour, more pieces come together. Excellent. Well said. Um, and I, I, I've been convinced that during this period of my life, God was going to show me what the next season was all about. That, that during this two weeks, yeah, perfect. that God was going to show me. And so I, I just believe I'm going to know by the end of this. Andy, a thought or two? Uh, yeah, hard to follow that. Um, but uh, it's been absolutely astounding. I think the picture of unity... Um, of love. You know, there's some of us that would have known each other longer. There's some of us that literally met the moment we walked into your house. So, you know, kind of half yeah, and Most half. of the room yeah. did not know most of the room. Right. <laughs> and um, to have shared what we have over the last three days, um, it doesn't just feel, it doesn't just feel significant in terms of the principle and the value of unity. It feels significant in terms of the urgency and the prophetic need for unity right now. So it doesn't just feel value and principle like this is a good idea. It feels like this is absolutely necessary for what God's doing on the earth, what he's doing in America. And uh, there's a sense of urgency to it. There's a sense of uh, the timeliness of us sitting in that room together. So it's been incredible and hilarious. I did not expect it would be so funny. We laughed a lot. A lot. And Eric plus some. is one of the funniest guys I have ever met. What you don't know is you're sitting next to one of the funniest guys I've ever Look, met. I just want to set the record straight. Eric can have any crown he wants. <laughs> I, 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 I don't want any crown. He's the, funny. The funny crown, just he can have it. So I just trust this me. guy too. I easily okay. give that away. Yeah. But when he's preaching, he's one thing I said. I'm talking about Isaac with a free spirit. That's that's the context. He's okay. not so free when he's preaching. We'll pray. <laughs> I'm changed by we're the gonna, gospel. We're going to pray for that. I'm we're going to pray for that. 
to pray for your freedom. <laughs> Maybe not. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> shifting gears back to a serious note. You're, let's take a few minutes introducing your childhood. You came to the Lord radical, 14 years old, went to master seminary, and then you, got, you came to visit us. So just give a few minutes on that. <laughs> And then I'm going to ask you a little bit, and then how you two got together. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so I came from a seminary that really taught against um, some of the gifts of the Spirit today. And, um, and I, I believed everything I was taught. Um, and then I did a series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, this is when I had started my church and began teaching and studying the Scriptures. You know, so I'm a little bit removed from my seminary days. And I'm going, gosh, I don't know if we were fair hermeneutically to these passages in Scripture. I thank God for my seminary that they taught me how to study the Word of God. But in studying the Word of God, I'm going, I think there's a lot more to what the Holy Spirit is supposed to. I don't see this break. And I began to ask my staff, who also came, went, came from the same school, I'm like, hey, just behind closed doors, what do you get from the Scriptures and they're like, oh, there's more. I'm like, I know. And we're, we're <laughs> like, I never would have come to these conclusions. So this was not, oh, Francis had this miracle experience, and therefore he became a charismatic. Wait, I had no. You said it. I, I, Whoa. <laughs> no, because a, a year ago, I'm on a call with him. He goes, <laughs> I think I'm a charismatic. I said, Francis, you is one. I'm telling you right now. He goes, I think, but I, I heard know, you. I know. It's on tape. Yeah. I am. I am. Okay. <laughs> but I'm also an evangelical. All right. I'm also. Okay. Um, Love it. Uh, what, did I, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I even asked some professors. You know, like, can you defend this biblically? And they go, well, not biblically. <laughs> they said there wasn't enough evidence biblically, but I also look at history, and it just seems like the gifts died in this period, and you don't see it. So when I put that together, I'm not saying all professors, just a couple of them, and I was like, whoa. Okay, because I'm reading this book, and there's more. And that's when I was writing my book on the Holy Spirit, too. And uh, so I, I start going down this road and also befriending some guys, not, not willingly. I just happen to be on the board for this uh, ministry called uh, World Impact for the inner city, caring for the inner city poor and, and you know, getting good teaching them, get them education. You know? and, but on the board was a guy named Jack Hayford. Um, an, another guy. Which that, he's a favorite to many oh, of us. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, Jack Havert is one and, of the heroes to us. Uh, when he heard what seminary I went to, literally, is at lunch, uh, hey, where'd you go to school? He literally dropped his fork. <laughs> and he goes, and then we both just started laughing. And he's like, I, I go, look, I, and I'm, I you know, was apologizing to him because I expected him to get on. One time he taught Bible study for our, our board, and I expect him, oh, I had a dream last night, and here's what the angel said. You know, 
And like no Bible, just all yeah. dreams. Instead, he opens up the scriptures and starts going to the context of these passages. And I'm like, what in the world? He knows the Hebrew way better than I do. He's expositing the word and coupling it with this character yes. of, of just everything I read about Christ. And it really changed my whole paradigm. And I had to apologize. Like, I am sorry. I did not have this view of you and took me on this road of speaking at all sorts of conferences for, you know, Foursquare, you know, different, you know, Pentecostals. Like, and I'm like, wow, what am I doing in all these circles? I really like them. And everything was, you know, I was able to mesh in both of those worlds until I said yes to IHOP. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just no. telling you. It, it was like... We've d talked about this many times. It I was love like, this story. Okay, now you've crossed a line. Um, and it was just this reputational... And it, it got to the point where I got so much flack for it. I'm like, what, what did I say yes to? Because I would just look at these different events. And even if I disagree with things... You know, that gives me an opportunity to share maybe what God wants me to share to this group. I like speaking to people I disagree with. You know, if I have the open door, to, 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 I'd rather speak to people who don't believe like I do. You could get us back onto the Bible. You know, yeah, like exactly. I could show you what this is, you know. But I, on my way here, I think it's Daniel Lim and another one of your leaders, they're, you know, so I'm scared coming here. When they pick you up from the airport, you Yeah, I, because I, I had one of our staff, his mom flew in in tears saying, say it is not so. Francis is not going over to be with Mike Bickle. Like this is, these are the things that I'm getting. And, and people have written me off at this point for coming here. And so I come and I've got all sorts of questions um, because I studied the Kansas City prophets while I was in seminary. And uh, even though there was no such group, which I found out from you, I'm like, what? I thought that was a known thing. You're like, you studied us in a positive way. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> yes. Like bedfellows. Um, but uh, I... It's my had, English literature. <laughs> Go ahead. I had so many questions. And, uh, but on the ride here even, you know, one of your leaders was like, oh, there's only two people I read. It's Mike Bickle and John MacArthur. I'm like, what? You, you, that, that doesn't even make any sense. You know, it, it's, it's just like, uh, I know I won't compare. Okay, but I'm like that. Are you serious? Like, oh, yeah, we love him. And we love the scripture. And I love John MacArthur. I read his you stuff do. All, for years. In I fact, love John MacArthur. You've been pushing him on me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like what in the world? You got to like, read his new stuff. I mean, you got to get into John MacArthur. I know, I know. Um, but uh, it was fascinating to me. And the more I know Mike, the more I'm going, wow, he really loves the Word of God and has been diligent to the Word of God and knows the Word. He he, he is more diligent in studying. Uh, I don't know of anyone that studies the Word of God and teaches it more than Mike. I mean, do you, I'm trying to think who, who does that more. So there's these paradigm-shifting things. Nonetheless, I get there. Do you want me to talk about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the moment sure. I get you to, go to the, the table, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, they, 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 Daniel's like, hey, why don't you go up on this stage? I'm like, 
Uh, this well, I'm going to give the context. So it's the One Thing Conference. There's 20,000 that are going to meet the next day. And he comes a day early to meet in the leadership summit of three, 400 people. But he doesn't know what's going on, and he's nervous. And they drive him there to the leadership summit. He walks in, three, 400 leaders around tables with a, about 10 of us up front having a forum. He thinks this is the One Thing Conference. He goes, okay, I'm glad I'm here. And he walks in. He doesn't know anybody. And they said, hey, go up to the front table. And he's going, what am I going to do up there? Wait, is, am I speaking? What are you doing? No one tells him anything. So he goes up to the table, and the Holy Spirit speaks to him. You go from there. Yeah. It, this conference had already started. I didn't know it had already started. Well, it was, maybe it had started. It was the morning meeting. I'm, yeah, it was going on. And I was like, I'm not supposed to speak at this thing. You know, so I just peek my head in because I just got off the airplane to see what's going on. And I come up onto the stage or go up on the stage. And, and so maybe you guys had planned that. I didn't. And, and as I'm walking onto the stage going, okay. Of the leadership summit of three, 400 people in the side room. Yeah, I'm going, well, where am I? And I'm so scared. And what because we're, we, we were might gonna do get you. you. We might yeah. speak yeah, yeah. in tongues well, on you. No, yeah. <laughs> you might. Yeah, I don't Fire know what tunnel. you're going to do. I just was so warned that I'm up there, like I don't know anyone on that stage, and this is a whole different context, and I've had so many emails and had to respond to so many people, and once I got up there, and I'm very careful with this, I believe I heard the word of God. I believe God spoke to me where suddenly I'm, I don't know if it was, I don't remember if it was an audible voice or whatever, but it was new to me. And it was like saying, Francis, I know you are afraid of these people. Do not be afraid of these people. And it was something like, this is your family. And um, it, I'm just going, okay, okay, but I am not believing it totally. You, you don't understand, like when you're ingrained in something your whole life and taught something for years and believing it for years, and then you're warned again, you don't just immediately, even though you think you're hearing a voice right then, it's new to you, it's peculiar to you, and, but it was this sense in which don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, this is your family. And, and as we got to know each other and it just became this beautiful time to where at the end, and I asked Mike, he's like, ask any question you have about anything you've ever heard about me. And I began asking and he began answering and explaining why he didn't spend his life defending himself. And God told him not to do that. And my jaw is just dropping at the humility of this man, the biblical knowledge of this man, the faithfulness for so many years that by the end of our time, I had to just publicly say, look, I don't care what you think. In the, and I'm speaking to the people that have been following me for years and had written me off now. I'm going, I love this man. And, and I, I just wanted to stand by him because I'm going this, I, I misread him. Um, I was told the wrong things about him, and I see who he is now, and I'm going to stand with him. And it was, it was, uh, that was a scary thing for me to Very say. Very moving to me. Yeah. Because I took it as from the Lord. Yeah. I took it as my heavenly father saying, hey, little guy, 
I'm helping you. I love you. Yeah. And I heard it through your mouth. <laughs> and so then the next year when I came back, again, a flood of emails, this time saying, okay, it's okay that you speak there, but do not publicly affirm Mike Bickle again. And so at the end of it, I'm going, okay, everyone told me not to do this, but I can't help myself. I go, I love you, Mike. Like this. They the get on the platform, I love Mike Bickle. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> because what he was doing was all those words coming. He goes, I'm just going to break this off of me, go the opposite spirit, and then get on with my message. Get this thing off my head, you know? So that's, you just spoke what was in your heart. Yeah. So we're shifting gears now to Andy, a little bit about your background. I mean, it's remarkable. I'm just going to say a little bit about you. His dad, his side, grew up generations of Baptists. His mom's side grew up in the Southern California revival culture. So just give a little bit about that. And then they got married. We're talking about your grandparents spent 50 years teaching the Sunday school class at the Shelby Baptist Church. But your, mo your, your mom's side sang in the choir for Catherine Coleman and Amy Simple McPherson, your grandmother. I mean, and then how to... They meet, and then you're, you come later. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So real brief, you heard the Baptist side, 50 years, same Sunday school class. They celebrated their 70th wedding anniversary, just incredibly faithful. My mom's side, my great-grandma was baptized in the Holy Spirit at Amy Simple McPherson's church, and she was kind of the, the family pastor from that point on. So I grew up knowing her, sitting in her rocking chair, praying in the Spirit, just a wild, wild woman. My mom and my grandma sang in Catherine Coleman's choir, and my uncle, who started this community I ended up being born in, was one of William Branham's primary disciples, one of his main disciples. So that great uncle of mine moves into remote northeastern Washington, where there's no town, hour from the nearest town, buys a big piece of land, and all these young 20s, back to the Lander movement, Jesus people movement, kind of hippie movement, move up. In the up. 70s, right. This would be in the, in the late 70s, yeah. 1975, yeah. 76. And so they, we start a town, an hour from the nearest town. Everybody's living off the land. No one has jobs. We're ready for the economies of the world to collapse. Everybody's storing massive amounts of food in their root cellars. And, and you're like zero, one, I, two, I'm, three, four. Yep, I'm born there, 1980. And, um, and we didn't have a dollar to our name. I mean, it's just, it was awesome. And uh, my earliest memories are growing up, you know, we're out in the field with chairs set up, you know, worshiping late into the night. Three, four, five times a night we would gather, or a week, we would gather and just worship. It was just what we did. And we're way out there. And you did isolated. hunting, fishing, all the boy e stuff. Everything that you do to survive when you have no money. Yes. But you loved it, though. I loved it. I totally loved it, yes. Yeah, so we lived there really full-time until I was eight. And then we moved from there to remote Alaska, out near Russia on an Aleutian island. Um, so it kind of went from, like, weird to weirder, in a sense. <laughs> and... Um, and Talk about your dad, too, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so okay. my dad is a nationally renowned ornithologist. He's a, he's a bird biologist, and my last name is Bird. And uh, he, he uh, was the lead biologist for the whole of the Aleutian Islands. So he developed all the conservation biology and everything for that entire island chain. He's probably one of the few men alive who's been to every single one of those islands, which most of them have no humans on them, only birds and uh, a few other animals. So we lived out there for a number of years and real remote. I mean, it was so, the, we had 12 sunny days a year on average out there. Not a single- Wait, wait, 20? 12. 
12 so, days a year, once, once a month, we averaged a sunny day. There was not a tree on the island because it was too windy. No trees could grow. It was a little strange. We're going to pray for you after this. I need a so lot of inner just, healing. Let's I need get all of our inner Zozo, healing teams up here. No, I loved it. Maybe he should it was pray a, for us. Yeah, yeah. It was a boy's <laughs> dream. It, I just fished and hunted and camped and hiked and lived and the in the first woods. Time you walked raised into by a, wolves. The first time you walked into a Walmart, you went like, wow. Oh, first time I, I, I was probably almost 20. Before you walked into a Walmart. Probably. <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember. You said you were raised by wolves. Well, what did you say? In the woods, you know, you know, you get it. Maybe okay. you don't. Okay. Okay. I, I don't. Not really. <laughs> then you go to YWAM when you're 18. Yeah. So we moved to mainland Alaska. My most formative years are there. Small little town, which Francis just came back from a trip to my hometown. My entire town was uh, about five, 7,000 people. Like when you were a teenager. Yeah, yeah, okay. no stoplight in the whole town. But that was big. That was the biggest town I'd ever lived in. That was like a metropolis. And um, so I finished high school there and didn't know what I wanted to study, um, didn't know what I should go to school for. My dad was definitely, was educated, was kind of, we were headed that direction. And uh, so he let me take a gap year, basically, to go to YWAM. So I went to um, Hawaii because I'd lived in Alaska for far too long. And uh, sounded fun, went for all the wrong reasons. My graduation speech must have made my parents so proud um, of w whatever I had to give a speech. And I said, I'm going to YWAM to find a wife. <laughs> I just can't imagine how, how that must have made them feel now as that, a parent. That, like, we're so proud of our son. Wrong with that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to YWAM to find a wife. But that wasn't true. I was deathly afraid of women, and uh, I didn't have sisters. It was a very peculiar species to me, so there was all, it was just smoke, but, but it, it's, it sounded good to me at the moment. So I didn't go to YWAM to fall in love with Jesus. I, I don't know. I went to leave Alaska. I went because uh, adventure sounded fun, but long story short, I had my whole world t turned upside down in that experience. 18. Yeah. So 22 years ago now, 22 years ago. Okay, there you go. I'll let you have the dead battery. Okay, so she'll fix it. So you have no idea. Many of you know this, but some of you don't, that he is the leader of the send that's filling up stadiums. Now, he's, the Lord's using him and the team next year at Arrowhead Stadium. You couldn't fathom 22 years ago you would be leading national, international stadium events. I mean, this, we'll get that to there later. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so you get on fire for the Lord 22 years ago because your, your roots were, were worship three, four nights a week. Yeah. But, you know, you, you just needed that jump start. Now, one of my favorite times, I'm going to digress for just a moment, of these three days where we spent nearly 20 hours together, we started off and with, I said, hey, let's each of us share a little bit of our story, 10 or 15 minutes, and we kept getting, we would share a story like St. Francis for 20 minutes. And uh, then what would happen is we'd get into all these other discussions. So we're on the third meeting and, and Andy hasn't shared his story yet. And he's so humble. He's, he says, that's good. So I got to say this. This is one of my favorite things said in the whole 20 hours. I said, guys, because they're all older. I said, except for Chris Reed, you're the same age. I said, I got a surprise for you. The surprise of the three days. It's called gold. You have no idea who Andy Bird is. Gold. I mean, Francis is deep. 
as deep as any, as the deepest, but he's more aware of how deep he's, that he's not, so he's got the humility. And then you got Eric, who's super insightful, funny, bold, all these things. Then you got Ken Fish, which you don't know so much yet, so intelligent, I mean, a Princeton scholar, but moves in the spirit for 40 years, he's moved in it. Then you got Chris Reed, just wow, I'll just leave it there. And I said, this is the gold right here. And after about 30 minutes, all of these older guys went, oh my goodness. I just had to say that. You were the gold in the group. <laughs> so then, next question, how did you two connect? I mean, I know the story, but talk about how you guys got together, both of you together. I'll defer to the golden child. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, so, but just so you know that he's as, he's as guilty as I am on this, because when I said gold, he said yes. And so there you go. <laughs> no, we, um, we were holding a gathering in Kona, what do you think, four or five years ago now? I should, we should find out the exact year, I don't remember. And um, his, Francis has a tech team that does a lot of media projects with Crazy Love and some of the initiatives he's a part of, and they're amazing. And so they were coming out to work with us and do uh, part of this training gathering. They were also wanted to help us as YWAM Kona. It was amazing. So we're on a Zoom with them talking about them coming to Kona, and Francis walks in the background of the camera, and I'm like, that's Francis Chan. And I, and I, I, you know, of course knew this was Francis Chan's media team, but Francis in my world, much like Mike, is a, is a hero of mine. I mean, the, I say this many times, you never think that your heroes will become your friends. You just don't. It's just not in your thinking. And so um, that was very true for Mike. He mentored me at a distance, never having met me for, for a decade plus before we had actually met. But I, I was a number one student of Mike Bickle's teachings. But when they were tapes, I was listening to them. When they were CDs, I was listening to them. When the website came out, it was one of the greatest breakthroughs in our generation. <laughs> and, and, and I devoured it. So Francis as well, his books, his life, his message, you know, to a younger generation, Francis's um, boldness, his passion, his zeal, his willingness to do anything that Jesus would say, his stepping out of his uh, very successful church, all of it, my whole generation was watching going, we've, ne we've not seen anything like this. This is astounding. Wait, see, I'm gonna comment for a second. He doesn't like this, but it's true. I think he has the strongest voice to the young adults, believers in our nation. I would agree. Of any other person I know. He doesn't care about that, what I just said. But it is true. And in the most streams of the body of Christ. Uh, it is true, yes. Yes. Yeah, so absolutely. He, so, so, so he walks film, in the back. He wa you see him yeah. pass on, on like the Zoom call type yeah, yeah. thing. And, and like, go, Francis, Francis. We throw it out. We're like, Francis, you should come with your media team. It's like our one chance. Like, when he passes by on the <laughs> yeah. Zoom call. And Francis was so kind. He's like, yeah, wow, thanks, okay. And kind of <laughs> heads off off the screen, and we're like, it's over. That was our one chance. We missed it. And now Wait, we were those well, I'm guys. I'm on this. You said that, he said, I always refused YWAM. I got a lot of uh, invitations over the years because I wasn't sure about theology or yeah, something. Again, like that. theology was like, every, I turned down Billy Graham. Like, just, mm, I don't oh, know. That's I embarrassing. Mean, that's where, I know, okay, all right. <laughs> I know, I know. But it, it's like, I, that's how, 
you know, committed I was to what I believed. So you should have go, <clears throat> gone to Bob Jones University. It's very conservative. <laughs> I went to the other Bob Jones University. Yeah. And <laughs> it, I mean, there's just two different directions. Yeah, wild. I never thought of that. But, um, yeah, I kind of pushed it off. You know, I was polite. And it's like, okay, so you know, nice. I go, still no. Yeah, but in my Clearly mind, no. I'm just like, I, I seriously would consider it. But in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, that's a cute little Kona thing. And, uh, you know, charismatic. And, 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 but I, in my mind later, I'm thinking, well, it'd be good for me to be with my tech team. And, you know, I don't really know these guys because they're, they're on another level in, in their minds. And I think... You know, no, just like coding. I mean, I have nothing, I don't even know what that is. So I thought, okay, well, Kona, that's kind of appealing too. And eventually just thought, okay, I'll go to be with them, to hang out, build, you know, group building for my team. Um, and when I got there, okay, this time, I was a little bit more into the charismatic world by then. And... Thanks to Kansas City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Kansas City kicked it off. Just, um, but uh, when I went to speak, okay, that first time I was like, okay, I think that was God saying that. Going to Ohana Court, worship's going on. I start walking towards the front to sit down like I normally do. And you guys... I believe this was the clearest I've heard the word of the Lord, the voice of God somehow. And he said, Francis, these are your children. Protect your children. Okay. To the now, YWAM young people. Yes. And you got to understand, I've spent my whole life speaking at youth conferences. I've never heard anything. He's never said this, these, this group, these are your children, protect your children. He, did, he hasn't said anything really. Um, I mean, uh, outside of the scriptures. Um, maybe I just wasn't open to it. But I'm so like shocked by it. this. This time is not like, I wonder if that's God's voice. I'm like, oh God, oh God, I think I hear your voice. Forgive me, because right now I'm still skeptical. I've asked, can I hear you? And now that I think I hear you, I'm, I'm doubting whether this is you. So this is going on as the singing's going. My head is, is like this, just going, God, I think you are telling me. I think you are telling me these are my children. I'm so sorry because I asked for this, but now I'm having a hard time believing and trusting it's really your voice. Is it you that's telling me that these are my children and, and, and that I'm supposed to protect them? You know, this is all going silently before God because I'm freaking out and trying to understand, is this a moment I'm waiting for where I'm hearing from you? And the guy next to me, some guy I don't even know, during worship, as I'm like this, you know, having my time with the Lord, he starts talking in my ear, which I think is rude. Okay? I'm just, I'm being dead serious. I seriously thought, see, this is why I don't do these YWAM things. You know, it's seriously like, you don't interrupt someone when they're having this moment with God. And, but what the guy says in my ear is he goes, Francis. These are your children. They have your DNA. 
I just lose. You know, I do, I, I do the same thing you do where I just kind of nod my head because it's just like I'm not going to respond or whatever. I'm just, just leave me alone. Just keep that statement in my head. And I lose it. I just absolutely lose it. That the time when I'm wondering, God, did you just say that to me? You have a human voice now. And it wasn't an angel. I mean, Brian's cool, but he's no angel. And, you know, I know him now, but I'd never seen him, heard of him before. He just whispered that in my ear. I'm like, God, you're so gracious that as I'm wondering if I heard your voice, you repeat it, you repeat it through a human being. And so that kind of started this journey with Andy and YWAM and our, our friendship. And so uh, in April, just uh, I'm going to jump ahead, then they, they go back in April, where the three of us are on a Zoom call together. And he said, in Kansas City, the Lord says, da-da-da-da, your family, welcome, your family, something like that. And, in, and then in, uh, Hawaii, I mean, in Kona, he says, your children. He goes, these are the two times I've heard God directly. I don't fully know what this means and this is part of the dialogue that emerges into this gathering actually because the same thing is happening with the other guys at the same time all these conversations are emerging right around the April 9 and so I thought this is important like I didn't tell the others about our conversation I just let it lie there but then we all came together and then so anyway going back to to YWAM then uh, uh, Lauren Cunningham and Darlene Say a little bit about how they touch you because YWAM, I mean, you were so oh. impacted. They're, they are the founders of YWAM 60 plus years ago. They're in their 80s now. Yeah. You get to meet them, then you get Lisa to come visit you. Yeah, I had no idea what, why, about YWAM because when you just keep something at arm's distance, you, you know, what do you know? It's just like every once in a while I meet someone from YWAM and, you know, sometimes they know the Bible, sometimes, wow. And, uh, and so I've just kind of thought that. And, and then when I got there and I realized the history and how many millions have gone through this and then that the founder was still alive and his wife and meeting them. And I, I call my wife. I'm like, okay, we need to come back here. I, I just met this older couple. They've been doing this for 60 years and um, we got to go. Yeah, you need to meet them. I said, you know, maybe even next week because I don't know how much longer they're going to live. So we got to, I, I, I want, this is who I want to be when we are old. They're still on the mission. They're still focused. I cannot believe what they have done in their lifetime. I didn't know the scope of what God was doing. And that's, that's the shame of all of this. You know, when you're brought up saying, hey, you, you don't want to, you don't want to know that brother or that uncle, you know, then you miss out and you're going, whoa, I've learned so much from Andy and his whole world. I've learned so much from Mike and his friends. And, and each time there's like a little bit of fear of the unknown of what's going to happen to me and who are these guys you're bringing, you know, and, and, and it doesn't mean you throw your discernment out the window. I mean, you, you just can't, that we're called to be discerning. But I'm saying, as I discern biblically with everything I've studied in my life, I'm telling you, it's coming together. That's what is blowing my mind, so. So the thing that I really love that you, when you were telling the story about meeting Lauren and Darlene at another time, you said they're in their 80s living the same way they lived in their 20s. I, yes. Because the 20-year-olds get on fire. They started a yes. missions movement, YWAM. 
and you know they had one missions base, then they had two. Today there's 2,200 mission bases. 2,200 locations of YWAM. It's the largest missions movement in the world and in history. And so they said they're in their 80s living in the same passion and childlike expectation and abandonment oh. that they did in their 20s. Nobody yeah. does that for 60 years. Exactly. And that's what I told them. And that's what I've been telling that younger generation, too. Like, I don't want to be that guy that did something crazy in my 20s and then wrote a book about it and retired. Like, it, it, there's this, there's this, this uh, pattern in the evangelical Christian world where you do crazy things in your 20s. And maybe you go to a DT whatever but then you get married and you play a little safer then you have kids and you play a little safer you know and and I get it I get it as a dad of seven you understand why it has to it goes that way but it doesn't have to go that way and I tell people it's like you took a step out of the boat and then you jump back in and write a book about it I go no I want to take a step further every year of my life to where I can't even see the boat when I'm 60 70 you know and I'm living by faith and it's a lifestyle of faith which was the only thing that made sense to me biblically because what am I trying to save now in my 50s what am I trying to hold on to I'm getting closer and closer to seeing his face I should be taking bigger steps of faith and so I've always believed that and tried to live that way but until meeting Lauren and Dar I you know, I, I tell people, the younger generation is so hungry for young marrieds that are still living by faith. People with children who still take risks. You know, people with several children. That, they're looking for that, and they're looking for the grandpas and the grandmas that aren't, you know, just retiring and accumulating stuff, but they're like, man, I'm going to see God. What, what am I doing with all this money? Let me give it away to the youth because I'm going to see the face of God pretty soon because that's the only thing that makes sense to me biblically. And I saw that in Lauren and Dar. I see that in your leader, Mike, and I praise God for that. Yeah, that's so, good. so there are five million young people who have gone through, they call it DTS, which is like our internship. Five million have gone into the, the DTSs in the last 60 years. That is remarkable. And one of the main leaders of YWAM, John Dawson, is a very dear friend of mine for 30 years. And, and so I've loved YWAM because I've got to know John, and I'm awestruck by what's going on there. And then, of course, Mark Anderson. The, I mean, if we had to say what ministries are best friends, it has to be YWAM collectively, but then YWAM down the road with Mark Anderson, Mark and Karen. For 30 years, I mean, the 22 years of IHOP, we have walked together. And I mean, I love that guy. And of course, now 111 Global's there. You know, our own uh, Murray and Deborah, they're there mixing YWAM prayer and missions. And we are just so excited and so thankful about YWAM. But Lord, I thank you for Lauren and Darlene Cunningham. I thank you for 60 or 65 years later in their 80s, approaching 90s, they are pressing for the new frontier. Thank you, thank you, thank you for Lauren and Darlene Cunningham. Lord, even Bill and Yvette Bright with Campus Crusade, those two couples stand alone way out there in my understanding. Thank you for those kind of people that did it 50, 60, 70 years even in Jesus' name. So one of our great moments was in 2016 in September when the YWAM leadership, because remember, there's, there's like 30,000 staff worldwide. 
I don't know the real number of this, but like the top or near 2,000 or some number like that or 3,000 of their leaders decided to come together and they picked Kansas City. And uh, Lauren uh, Cunningham picked Kansas City and one reason was because of IHOP. He wanted to be next to the prayer movement and I thought, how honoring. So two or 3,000 came, you were there. And in the context of 2016, some things unfolded and on this stage, Lauren Cunningham said, God promised me a million intercessors and the Lord stirred my heart and some of the others and we said, we are gonna stand in the gap to help not way outside of IHOP, raise a million intercessors for the largest missions movement in history and we committed before the Lord by the grace of God and that bonded us in a new way together and again, you don't have to have best friends but YWAM's our best friends. You don't even need to say that but I just said it. But Isaac, you had a powerful dream about YWAM just a month or two ago when you were visiting there. I want to hear from you, Andy, in just a minute, because I want to hear about you meeting Francis, too. I want to hear about this dream. I okay. think I've heard. And we're going to have a part well, two in a few minutes, it's, too. It's, you know, it's really short. I took two services back in May and told the broader story, because uh, my wife and I, Morgan, we went to Kona, and we saw you there briefly just for a minute in passing, but we were so marked by our YWAM family. And it was like the Lord just deposited all this love and passion as intercessory missionaries here to see the missions movement go forth in the earth in Luke 418 power. That's really what it is at the end of the day. And that's one of our primary assignments here. Anyways, the short of it is the, the second or third night I'm there, Francis, buckle your seatbelt. I have a dream and in this dream, in this dream, I see Jesus, his back, and he's working as a carpenter, and he's bringing these two walls together, these framed out walls. And on his left, it says IHOPKC, and on his right, it says YWAM. And he's bringing them together, and he's so happy, I can't see his face, but he's so happy and overjoyed at these merging together of these uh, ministries, but it's more than that. It's, it's about prayer and missions and the end of the age and global harvest. And there's many, many people across the body of Christ involved in this. And he's bringing it together and he's cleaning up the joints where they're all gonna connect together because there's like these rusty screws and he's getting all that out of the way. And he's bringing them together and then he begins to bolt them together. And I understand just in the dream intuitively that the Lord is bringing two walls together because without two walls you can't have a structure. And I knew intuitively in the dream that the structure had to do with standing for two purposes that were unfolding in our generation. Purpose number one was it takes a structure to bear a load and to bear the weight. And I, I knew that to be the glory of God, that the Lord wanted to release a great outpouring of the Spirit and he needed to bring together not just IHOP and YWAM, but streams in the body of Christ to bear the weight of what he wanted. And I think it's so that one group doesn't get arrogant over the other. That's my little commentary. It's that, so this group gets a little outpouring and they don't get arrogant over this group. Anyways, the Lord's bringing it together to bear the weight of his glory. And then the second thing was, it takes a structure to stand against the winds of adversity. Because as the Lord releases a greater outpouring, there's greater resistance 
in the natural, in the spirit, to the purposes of God, and he's going, no, you need one another in a dynamic way so that you stand courageous and faithful in the face of persecution, betrayal, setback, adversity, and the onslaught of the enemy. So anyways, that's the Wait, short be, version uh, of that. Another point, you said that the wall's like that because a wall by itself will fall down. Right. If it's just a wall, if the wind's strong enough, it'll knock it down. But if it's a wall that's built together, and the Lord said there were rusty uh, things at the joint. He's fixing all of that. Yes. So we're paying attention. The next four, five, six, seven, eight years, he's going to make strong bolts and move some of the rust. And we're saying, Lord, we don't have an opinion what that looks like, but we're in. And it's we're supernatural. We're going to be teachable, and we're going to do this thing. It's supernatural. It's a work of God in what he's doing. Even what I see, you know, Francis in your life and Andy and your guys' friendship, it is a supernatural work. No one got together and plotted how can we become best friends? That doesn't work. You've never became best friends with someone because you plotted in a strategy room how to become best friends with them. And the Lord's going, I'm the one doing this convergence in the body of Christ, bringing friendships together, bringing streams together. And it was Jesus down there. It wasn't Lauren Cunningham or Andy Bird or Mike bringing IHOP and YOM together in the stream. It was him. He goes, I am the one that is building my father's family, and I am the master builder to set things up for what I want to release in the earth in the days to come. So, and when I look back over the years, wow. again, I know, I've known John Will for 30 years. Our families have been together several times over the 30 years, all of our family, I mean, all the together, and, and Mark Anderson, us old guys, and I look at you guys and I go, this is part two. It's beginning again to a whole nother level. And you throw Chris Reed in, throw Benji, Elijah, Daniel Brown, the educator. I mean, all these, all these relationships of 30-year-olds are coming together in a whole new way. And I'm going, Lord, I know where this is going. And the Lord says, you don't have a clue where it's going way beyond what you think. Wow. Well, we got about 10 or 15 more minutes, actually. We're going to go a little bit longer uh, then we normally go because so many of you, you're not pulling your car out of the parking lot, so we don't have as, need as much time to change the parking lot out. You're staying here for the next service. So I'm going to shift over here and uh, look at uh, the YouTube uh, video that, or whatever that you two made on April 9th. Oddly, on April 9th, you made it. It's called The Unlikely Friendship. And you had been to Burma together. Then you did the Send Orlando together. Then your family has spent some days together. Talk a little, that's amazing, and we'll develop more of it after the break, but just, just build, the, I mean, here you guys are on the West Coast on April 9th meeting, making this video. We're in Kansas City on April 9th with Chris Reed talking, and Eric Metaxas and Ken Fish is on the East Coast on April 9th talking about John Wimber and the Vineyard Movement. All the same morning, we're having, anyway, <laughs> Whatever, it's amazing. So talk a little bit about this unlikely friendship in Burma and you came together in Orlando, and Orlando. just a touch a little bit of that. Yeah, I, I mean, I just, it's the moment I got to know Andy, I just saw a humility that I, that is very peculiar when you're in the circuit of speaking and um, in people that are leading big movements, you suddenly meet someone where you go, like, you know, you see different levels of humility, and then I just go, I don't see any pride in this guy. 
this is crazy to me. It is the weirdest thing. He's leading, he, you know. Stadium events yeah, with yeah, leaders yeah. that are much older than him. He's the main leader of the older leaders. And then when I talked to the older leaders, like, hey, what do you think about Andy? And they would say, like, he's the one guy I trust. I mean, like, old, see, I go, that's what I think. You know, so the relationship, it's not unlikely in that sense, because I'm just like, they're just, I gravitate towards a guy like this. Um, but that video thing it was really funny because my video team that morning had had a talk about how much they would love to do a, uh, a video of Andy and I, but they were looking at his schedule and going, oh, he's, he's in the Midwest somewhere or whatever. And so then right after that meeting, they're having a Zoom call with me. And in the background, they see Andy Bird walk in. And yeah, the same thing reversed. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I go now that everyone's Andy. And, okay, so I'm, uh, I'm just, you know, I hear them going. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sorry, my friend Andy and his kids are loud, you know. And because uh, well, he's at your house. Yes. Oh, that's the two or three days he's whole yeah, family's yeah, at yeah. your house. Okay. And and they're freaking out. They're like. <sighs> we were wondering where Andy Bird was because we were wondering if we could do an interview with you and him. And he's at your house. And <laughs> then he walks in when we thought he's somewhere else in America. And I'm like, well, come on over, but don't stay long because just want, we just want to hang out as families. And so that's when all of that was filmed. And then the next time when we were getting all these words from the Lord, he was heading to where, Africa? South Africa, and something got messed up with his flights, and suddenly I get a phone call. Hey, I'm I'm in San Francisco. It's the night before Easter, and he goes, "I'm supposed to be going to South Africa. My flight just got canceled. Can I spend the night at your house?" <laughs> I'm like, yes, of course, you know. And and so that's when we start talking about this stuff, and like, whoa, this is what God's saying to me. This is what is something about unity, the future. I just finished this book on unity. Da, da, da. We're talking about this unity tour, and then you know, and then we hear Mike's talk, and we're like, on John oh. 13 or 17, yeah. I'm like, that's exactly what we were going to base everything on. I and I go, look, look at the text I sent you. I said it has to be John 13 to 17. Um, crazy enough, when I was 14 and became a believer, those were the first chapters of the Bible I memorized because I jumped into this Bible quizzing thing just because I was very competitive and I just thought, I'm going to win this too. And memorized these passages. First passages I memorized were those full chapters. And then suddenly we're like, we've got to get Mike on the phone. Um, let's, let's Zoom call him. I don't know if he knows how to Zoom at his age. But we'll get one of his staff. But and I let's, do read books. I, <laughs> I know. That's so, you know. That's old uh, yeah, joke, old joke. Who, who, who reads books anymore? Uh, but uh, so we Zoom call, and that's how all of this came together. I'm going to say again what you just said. Just, so they're together, and the Lord is put John 13 to 17 in, in him in a deep way, and he's made that known to Andy. This is before I say anything about it. And just coincidentally, as a kid, he memorized it, I, and I like that. I competitively, I wanted to win the contest when I'm 16. But, it's, but it is the Lord set it up, so he's got it memorized. Then 30 years later, whatever, 20 years later, he's stirred by it. 
that I give a message on it. I had this open vision on March 3rd, 2021, and it's related to John 13 to 17. I give the message. They're at the house together just because his flight got canceled, so he's at the house mm -hmm. together. They hear the message, but that's after he already told him, made it known to him, John 13 to 17 is my direction, and they went, wait a second. This is re not ridiculous. This is remarkable so they Zoom me and we talk for an hour or two and, we, and this is two to three days before April 9th. And so... And it's all around a vision of us doing some sort of unity tour with our families, trying to promote unity in the body of Christ. Um, and that's what the John 13, 17 was gonna be based on because he had just been traveling through the country with his family in a van. And I was so close to just getting a van and meeting him as they got closer to the West. And then he's like, oh, I keep going. I'm like, gosh, it'd be so cool to travel with his families, you know, about unity. And, and the amazing thing about what's happened the last few days has been how it's been centered, even the Luther thing. When we talked about that the last night, we're going, wow, this is... This is crazy, and it has to do with generations, yes. too, of the reason why there hasn't been unity is there's been almost a competition where the older men were supposed to build into the younger men and, and cheer them on and guard them and say, hey, be careful, don't get cocky, but put them up there rather than competing with them. It, it, it's, it, there's so much, you know, like James talks about where there's selfish ambition and jealousy where they exist, so will every vile practice, and that has crept into the church where it's become competitive and my people and your people and this and this and this and it's kept us from becoming this powerhouse that Jesus promised when we were united and so all of that was was what we were striving to push for having no idea that bringing these different streams to this time was I believe going to be like an epicenter of all of that. So we're going to end with this, and then we're going to pick up part two at 11 o'clock. I'm going to end with this. It's March 1983. I meet Bob Jones the first day. He says, all these things are going to happen. Many of you have heard the story. But he said, it's for your children and your grandchildren. I'm 27 years old. Our children are two and four. I said, my grandchildren? What are you talking about? He goes, these things are for the generation when your grandchildren will be in their strength. That was the weirdest statement I heard, I've ever heard besides the other 10 things he said earlier. And they were everything, I didn't catch any of it. I go, my children, and my they're two and four. He goes, they will be mature, your grandchildren will be in their strength when these things happen. He said the 24-7 prayer, the worldwide missions movement, all these things coming together. And now that I'm 65, I'm looking, this really is about them. And I'm telling the young people here, they go, oh, we, you know, you, this, that, and the other. I go, no, this isn't, this isn't my story, really. I am a storyteller, and I've been a steward of a story, like Bob Jones and Paul Kay. We were stewards of a story. It's actually your story. I was a steward and a storyteller. It's really clear to me my role in it. It's really the 40-somethings and those 10-somethings, whatever, eight, 10, who are gonna be 20 in a few years, it's really them. It's their story. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you that you're orchestrating something bigger than us, the missions movement, the per movement, the ends of the earth. We thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So we'll see you at 11 o'clock. <laughs>
Deborah. Deborah. 